Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We ask who was to blame for Red Bull's total wipeout and what Valtteri Bottas has done to deserve so much bad luck. Whether it's the Red Bull Drivers' Mutual Annihilation Act, Sebastian Vettel's botched attempt to take the lead, Valtteri Bottas' blowout, or Lewis Hamilton's fortunate victory, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix had plenty of flashpoints to talk about. I'm your host, Ed Stewart, and joining me to look back on Baku first is Scott Mitchell. Now, this was your first visit to Baku, as it was for me, so what did you make of the place? Back on Baku. Good work, Ed. I thought you were going to trip up over that. That's a seamless introduction. Well, I had so much time to arrange that in my head because you make, kept making Baku puns during the weekend. Um, it was very good. I'd actually quite like to go back to Azerbaijan. It was a very, very pleasant place. It reminded me of uh, my former home, which of course is Formula E. Got that one in nice and early. Just nice to be back on a, on a street track. Really cool, really cool city, really cool architecture. All of that stuff was very, very nice. Um, didn't quite like the shovey, loud people that I came into contact with, but I'm sure the rest of Azerbaijan is filled with, with lovely folk. There was quite a bit of barging going on, on the streets, but uh, no, it's it a it's a nice place. And, Tell uh, us more. I, 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 Ed, I, Ed suffered a serious hamstring injury as a result of a bargy Azerbaijani. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good phrase, yeah. But, um, I was sort Are you of feeling pushed, okay, Ed? No, no, I'm, I'm right now. I was, I was sort of pushed up some steps and ended up thinking, well, my momentum is going to carry me off the edge, which is fine. And I jumped down and I thought, well, this is all fine. And then when I landed, the left the left hamstring went boom. Or, or, or whatever sli- noise a hamstring pro- pro- makes, probably a slightly less cartoonish noise, in fairness. But uh, but yes, yeah, so, so, if like the hamstring that. made a cartoonish noise, was there a moment where, as you fell off the the, the edge of that step, you held up a cardboard s sign that just said "yikes" and then fell down to the bottom? Something like that, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the rules. So the, the other voice you've heard is indeed Ben Anderson. Now you're particularly qualified for this podcast, aren't you? Because First time of everything. Exactly. Well, the big story of the race was the Max Verstappen-Daniel Ricciardo collision, and you have the distinction of being the first driver ever to be wiped out of a single-seater race by Max Verstappen. Yes, that's correct. Can you tell us about it, please? I think people deserve to hear this well, story. Well, I mean, you saw, obviously everybody saw, I guess, how uh, 
Cup Verstappen himself was wiped out by Ricardo at the, in the closing stages of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. And I thought, finally, Max knows how I feel because that's pretty much exactly what he did to me in his second ever single-seater race at Sebring in the Ferrari Driver Academy that he did before committing to his first season of racing in Formula 3. The ill-fated Florida Winter Series. Yeah, absolutely. Florida Winter Series, yes. Did, did you Run did, for one season and one season only. <laughs> the question is, could you have been said to have made a couple of moves on the straight? No, in the breaking I did not weave. I was actually being overtaken by Raffaele Marcello at the time. And we're heading towards turn three, Sebring, tight left-hander. Uh, Marcello was on the inside and I thought, well, he's, he's, he's going to pass me. I'll break a little bit early, try and cut back on the exit on the next straight. Next thing I know, whack! Verstappen has piled into the back well, of me. Well, that's the problem the with the modern road. Florida Winter Series car, though. There's so much downforce on the front end that the driver behind just becomes a passenger <laughs> in the, when, when they're in the tow. I'm sure that would have been Ross Braun's assessment, but he was sadly not present at Sebring to, to give us that feedback. I imagine this would be one of those great photos. It's like, here's Max Verstappen in the formative years of his career. Goes on to be a superstar. Raffaele Marcello goes on to be a GT star. And the other bloke. <laughs> Indeed. But so, to be, to be well fair done on being to the, the other bloke. To be fair to the Verstappens, they took... They took the blame for that collision, but in, in the case of Baku, it was not so clear-cut. Yes, I, I think probably there was a bit more uh, there was a bit more of a share at stake there, but we'll, uh, well, we'll get on to that now, I was going to say, in a minute, but let, let's dive straight into it. Red Bull again. Now, Ben, the stewards blamed both drivers. Do you agree with that? Broadly, yes. I think that was the correct decision. Um, I mean, obviously, Ricardo in that specific moment, takes the, the brunt of the blame for piling into the back of the other car, um, but... I think, as you mentioned in the introduction, Verstappen did move twice very close to the braking zone, quite reminiscent of those incidents from earlier in his career that so offended Ferrari and Kimi Raikkonen and Charlie Whiting um, and led to some rules clarifications. I think it was in 2016. Uh, So Verstappen, partly to blame for that. I think he, he definitely didn't need to make both of those moves. I think that suckered Ricardo a little bit I think he he interpreted Verstappen's initial body language as I've sold him the dummy and now I can dive down the inside but that was just Verstappen double faking Ricardo I guess and ultimately ended up in in a collision yeah I'd agree with that I mean I think Verstappen created the initial condition with the two moves but Ricardo I think unusually for him because he's normally very good in those situations he's clearly frustrated with what had been building in the race and I think he allowed himself to get suckered in because if you, if you look yeah, Verstappen made two moves, which you're not meant to do. Fine. But there was never quite that gap there. It's not like the gap opened and then closed. It started to open and then close. So, uh, yeah, you do have to give both the blame. People say it was a bit of a cop-out from the stewards, but actually I think, you know, sometimes you can have a thing where two drivers are, are, are to blame. I think in that moment, that's a, it's a fair assessment. I think the, the incident overall, if you take the context of the whole race, Verstappen... Verstappen's driving was creating the conditions for that to happen inevitably because the way he defended position from Ricardo throughout the race was, I think, a bit over the line for the way you should race your teammate. Especially as we know that Ricardo is supremely good at judging how and when to, to perform an overtake. And he'd already had a couple of times in the race where he'd executed what on anybody else would be a, would a perfectly complete move around the outside. But he had this to be honest, torpedo. Time, yeah, well, exactly. I was about to say, I actually think at times during that race when Max was out of control, I think he, he crossed the line more than once. And Ricardo was clearly being fairer with him because he was his teammate. And I don't think he got that reciprocated from Max's side at all. No, I think also Red Bull, I mean, we didn't hear all the radio message, but uh, radio messages broadcast between the team and the drivers, but it didn't seem like Red Bull were trying to get on top of that situation either. You could see that it was bubbling up throughout the race. Verstappen was desperate to keep Ricardo behind at all costs to the detriment of his race, Ricardo's race, Red Bull's race, and Red Bull never stepped in to say, come on, Max, calm down, or Ricardo's fast and you might want to let him, you know, go maybe. It was it was purely, okay, you sort it out yourselves and and the way Verstappen drove, I don't think really was acceptable in defence. It was, as you say, over the line. I think they might have also made a bit of a mistake when it came to, to, to boxing Daniel early. Because I know that traditionally, you bring the guy in front in one lap early so that they don't get undercut from the guy behind. But I wonder, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I just wonder if there was enough evidence at that stage to show that Ricardo was going to struggle 
getting his new tyres up to temperature, which meant that actually pitting Verstappen a lap later was always going to give him a time advantage. And that's how they ended up getting back in that position, because Ricardo had finally got the job done. Max had finally yielded, but only because I think Ricardo had had such a better run down that main straight that he was ahead, wasn't he, using DRS in time that Max couldn't torpedo it back down the back down the inside but then obviously they 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 flip positions and it's just it's just a mess wasn't it from start to finish Kimmy said after the press conference that he could just he knew that this was one of those races where something's going to happen he'd seen the red bulls at play a little bit and he thought something's going to happen there later in the race and how right he was i feel like it was a desperate performance from verstappen he's had a a tough start to the season i've not been impressed with the way he's been driving he's made mistakes in every grand prix i think so far and Baku felt like a race where he was desperate at all costs to finish ahead of his teammate and stop the rot and I think he he overdrove reverted to type and didn't really show that he'd learned the lessons of the previous race in China that he said that he was going to learn he's driving with impatience and immaturity you know sustained over four races he's been making these these misjudgments there's clearly some frustration the car isn't quite as strong as they want to certainly in in uh, in qualifying trim which always means i think maybe he goes into the race with that slightly right we've got to make things happen we've got to get track position which you saw in 2017 a lot exactly you know, with yeah, the, yeah. some of those moves at the first corners of races i've got to get these guys now or it's over for me and when but, you know that baku as well is one of those races that it rewards the people the immediate people outside of that usual group of pretenders that obviously there was maybe that desperation to be best of the rest in case anything happened to the front runners he, he just needs to calm down a little bit and play the race that's that's in front of him which usually Ricardo is very very strong at and I, I do agree that the way Verstappen had driven earlier in the race I can understand why Ricardo got into the mindset of being kind of sucked into making the error that he made once once Verstappen I think uh, a less moved. mentally stable driver would probably have had Verstappen off earlier well, in that race well the, they? the key point earlier on was when Ricardo got past Verstappen on the straight and then Verstappen came back up the in, launched it up the inside and you could see Ricardo all he was doing at the exit of that corner was trying to think right how do we not I'm, crash I'm going to I, I got to not hit the wall mm. and he kind of he avoided the collision there so I can understand that and I do think perhaps Red Bull could have intervened a little bit more I think they were unfortunate with the pit stop it was a confluence of factors that meant that the sort of the um, the overcut as it were allowed Verstappen to get past because he picked up a DRS tow from Pierre Gasly it was a lap down because you do pick up DRS from the from the back markers because of the way the system works you get anomalous races like that sometimes don't you Monaco last year I think yeah, had a similar happen, a similar yeah. anomaly happen I think what it tells us is that Red Bull shouldn't be running their race differently to keep their drivers apart really that indicates there's a problem and as you said Scott Let's say they'd left Verstappen out for a couple more laps to ensure Ricardo's tyres got up to temperature and there wasn't a problem. Well, then they'd be compromising Verstappen's race to keep them apart, mm-hmm. which is not what you need to do. Well, I disagree. Actually, I think you, I, I think don't you manage each race individually, depending on the, the factors. They were no, clearly no, 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 not not when you've got to. You can't. It, it's indicative of a problem if you've got to deliberately keep your two drivers apart because you worry they're going to drive into each other. That's a big compromise. That's forcing the so Ocon Perez territory, what I'm isn't is, it? Yeah, had they done it, it would have avoided it. But that's indicative of a wider problem. It is indicative of a wider problem, but that problem exists. So, so I don't. What are you? What are you suggesting that, that they should just let them drive into each other because they can't be? No, no, trusted? that's not. That's not what I said. I said the problem is you cannot, as a race team, deal with things in that way. They've got to. They had to deal with it more strongly in the race. Yeah, they could have laid down the law to Verstappen. I think at an earlier point yeah, and said, that, "Look, Ricardo's actually quicker. We've got a chance. We're getting sucked back into the midfield group because you two are fighting and squabbling and." screwing each other's race up it's faster if we don't do this and you calm down yeah and they also had Ric- uh, Raikkonen was only about six seconds odd behind so what they need to do is address this and stop this situation from arising with the drivers not compromise their race strategy in order to keep them apart no, I, think, I think that's I think that is absolutely I'm 100% in agreement that that is the best course of action overall but they were clearly hesitant to take that action so there was an alternative at play if they didn't want to do that they could have acted in a way that that forcibly kept them apart and then dealt with it after the race having finished third and fourth or fourth and fifth or whatever I don't think they needed to have that crash for to to go we should probably stop this from happening in the future but I wonder if this goes back to this is purely hypothetical, but it goes back to Verstappen's contract negotiations at the end of last season. If you remember in 2016, uh, Daniel Ricciardo won the Malaysian Grand Prix after Lewis Hamilton's engine blew up. And they, there was a point at which both Red Bulls could have scrapped for the lead of the race and Verstappen was called off. And I got the impression Verstappen was frustrated by that, that he felt he could have come back at Ricciardo and taken that race. And I wonder if, having done his new deal with Red Bull, he said, 
I don't want to be put in a situation again where I can't race my teammate on my own terms. You can't intervene. And that's why Red Bull called the dogs off basically and didn't get on on the radio to Verstappen and tell him to uh, to either let Ricardo buy or not defend in a way that was risking a crash. How they handle this is going to be absolutely fascinating now because they are the team with the most evenly matched number one drivers within them because for all of the Hamilton, Bottas, Mercedes history of letting their drivers race, there is still that little bit of doubt that when everything is right there, is Bottas quite on Hamilton's level? I think in terms of separating the two teammates in the top three teams, Red Bull is clearly the 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 potential flashpoint of the season. And that team really needs to get its act together and actually start scoring big points because they've had a car capable... They've obviously they've won in China, but they've had a car capable of really good results this season. For one reason or another, it hasn't happened. And all the while that Renault is actually sort of going the distance and the drivers aren't driving into other people, the last thing they need is to be driving into each other. It, it astonishes me how often teams don't take these situations head on and they let it get to this point. We saw it with Force India last year. You know, there were plenty of warnings and they kept mm. having collisions. You know, the collision at Spa could have caused enormous problems and that was well after the, the clash at Baku. And teams can see this sort of thing escalating and, and the best ones need to need to get on top of it, particularly with Red Bull's history with what happened with Vettel and, and Weber. They need to kind of understand where they need to clamp down on it. But I think, I think you're right that it, it the whole contract landscape influences this because they don't want to wind up Verstappen if they may lose Ricardo anyway and obviously Ricardo's thinking well is this going to be if this is this going to be Max's team and that's another reason why he wants to kind of assert himself they can't force Ricardo to sign a new contract that's not something they can force to happen but they can control the two drivers in a, in a sensible way and if you give them the instruction right you don't drive into each other that that can needs to come a point in a race where you make that emphatically clear but hmm. they'll, they'll have been kicking themselves really because they didn't anticipate they'd swap positions on the in the pit stop, and I think they they assumed that that battle it was, was over, <laughs> was done and dusted. So perhaps they didn't necessarily have time to cool things off, as it were, no. before that. But ultimately, it's a failure of the it's a it's partly a failure of the management from the pit wall, particularly when you have a situation that had been bubbling on bubbling away for forty odd laps, and mm. that was the culmination of it. So you know that what were we. 75 minutes into the race at this point so it wasn't completely unexpected. No, it was obvious and they just never did anything to try and get it under control which makes you think something else is going on I do also wonder if, if in the Verstappen camp they didn't expect this resurgence from Ricardo. I mean last year he had Ricardo in his pocket there were a few good Ricardo performances but Verstappen was the better Red Bull driver and I think he probably expected to carry that momentum into this season with stable regulations but actually Ricardo's come back at him and it's created an unforeseen tension maybe in Verstappen's eyes. Ed, Ed, I know that you're the host of this podcast and the grand question master, but I have a question for the two of you on this. Because if you are Ricardo and you're still umming and ahhing over what your next move is, how much does what happened during that race change your view of things? Do you get the feeling that if roles were reversed, Red Bull would have called you off? And, and let Max go or, or does it not change anything in terms of how you feel within the team? I think the actual incident itself is less important than the team's reaction to it so it'll have been what's happened since then will will say a lot because if you're Ricardo you can legitimately say well all this was happening this was building up why wasn't something done about it so that, that'll be an interesting an interesting question. Yeah that's the bit we just can't know I mean Ricardo will know what hopefully what the deal is within the team and why efforts weren't made to calm that down earlier and as Ed says, the reaction will indicate where they stand on inter-team relations and how they deal with Max versus Dan. I mean, Dan's position, he, he can afford to be fairly relaxed because he's he's won the Chinese Grand Prix. He's had a stronger start to the season than his teammate. He's clearly rattled Verstappen, given the way Verstappen was driving in Azerbaijan. So I think he can afford to just wait a bit longer, see the lie of the land and and decide his next move later down the line like he he holds more cards now than he did at the end of last season certainly what we haven't seen is Red Bull do what they did after Turkey 2010 which is do that hilarious picture of Vettel and Weber sort of standing next to each other looking shrugging still time though isn't there (laughs) there is still time I think they may have learned that not necessarily very uh very convincing but we're mates (laughs) but yeah it's I mean the, the whole the whole contract landscape is is significant but you're right, Ben. Ricardo hasn't got too much to to lose on that, particularly with how well he's driving. And I think it's a bit naive of Verstappen to think that he had Ricardo dead and buried, as it were, because Ricardo does dig deep and learn and 
responds to things, doesn't he? He's shown that ability, so you shouldn't be completely surprised by it. But what Verstappen needs to do is just learn to drive the race that's in front of him because he was basically slower than Ricardo in that yeah. race. And setting aside the whole collision, you could argue that Red Bull would have been better off letting Ricardo go up. The Absolutely, I, I mean, we we had this conversation uh, off recording, and uh, with the, ra- the way the race was playing out with Hamilton's mistake. Ricardo could have challenged Hamilton for the podium under normal circumstances had he been released by Verstappen, yeah. but their squabbling prevented Red Bull getting in range of the Mercedes. And actually, I always think teammates should recognise this because you always get this thing, oh, well, we should be able to race. But what Verstappen would have had to realise in that situation is one race, it's you that's holding the other one up. The other race, the next race, it's the other way round. Mm. That, that's what happened. I remember when Massa uh, kicked off about the team orders in Malaysia in his first year with Williams. Like the next race... Basically, he wants to be like Pos Potas, but because the team had been so rattled by the reaction to that, they weren't willing to do it. And I just find it very strange that drivers don't realise that you can, you know, you can bank credit. And particularly if you've got two drivers like that who are quite closely matched, there's going to be plenty mm. of times where they're near each other on track this year, and there might be a clear performance advantage. So I think both, well, Verstappen in particular needs to see the needs to see the bigger picture, yeah. and the team also needs to understand the. The sensitivities and the, and the flashpoints there because it is a battle for for dominance, isn't it? Yeah. The team. So it's uh, surprising that a team like Red Bull wouldn't have the the foresight to step in, though, isn't it? You know, allowing that other things might be going on because with teams like Force Engine Williams in the midfield, not really used to having these these problems of letting the drivers race or whatever because they're just after the team points. You can kind of understand their hesitancy or the the reluctance to get on top of the situation and why it takes time. But with Red Bull, you think, well, you've been here before, you know, you've got top drivers but you also know that you've got a constructors championship to think about you should be able to lay down the law and get on top of this sooner exactly yeah exactly well we did see an example of some slightly more cooperative teammates in uh, in Baku with Lewis Hamilton winning he admitted it was a, a lucky race he said it was fortunate um, he went and commiserated with Valtteri Bottas who three laps from the end lost his uh, right rear when he had a certain victory do you think Lewis was correct to kind of downplay his win the way he did Scott in terms of stealing it from Ferrari, yes. In terms of getting it back from Bottas, obviously, yes, the way the race played out. But overall, Bottas wasn't, in my opinion, Bottas wasn't really any more deserving of that win than, than Hamilton. I think he'd sort of lucked into that sort of situation where he ran really long on on his first set of tyres just because he was cause he was slower than Lewis for, for most of the race. And so there was a sort of... There's a little bit of Bottas once he'd got into that position. Yeah, it was his race. So obviously the tyre blower handed it to Lewis. Lewis is very lucky. But the real bit of luck is obviously Mercedes stealing their first win of the season at a race that Ferrari and Vettel had absolutely sewn up. So Lewis's body language after the race, especially in the press conference, of asking him whether or not he thinks that it's upgrades or setup work that Merck now needs to get on top of Ferrari. And, and he was very honest and just said, we had it nailed on in in Australia and since then Ferrari have just optimised everything so there's a bit of head scratching going on because um, it's very very rare that you see a racing driver win and then say afterwards I can't afford to repeat that performance. Well that's that's the key point isn't it I mean Hamilton's error handed that track position to Bottas without that lock up and flat spotting of the tyres and and the need to pit earlier than planned I don't think Bottas would have been the one threatening Vettel's Ferrari when it, the race played out ultimately the way it did so it is actually interesting though because Mercedes were sort of coming back into the race because Hamilton was starting to chip away yeah he had Vettel. just started to close the gap and, and we have to remember that had the safety car not happened Bottas was on his way to potentially being able to put the ultra softs on and have an attack at the end yeah Vettel still had mm. the trap position and usually you default to say well the guy with the trap position would have would have won but you know Bottas was Bottas was doing a good job but we couldn't really compare that with Hamilton because he he had that lock up, and in fairness, even the lock up, yes, it was a mistake, but it was a twenty five kilometer an hour uh, headwind turn to a fifteen kilometer an hour tailwind, so forty kilometers an hour change. Yeah. You know, there was, lo- there was lots him. of buffety wind going on. He wasn't the only one to get caught out. So, I mean, also- mitigation. I wouldn't say it excuses it completely, though. No, but also we don't know then what Vettel would have done strategically because one, with Hamilton out of the way, it did make sense for Ferrari to to bring Vettel in and put him on fresher tyres when they did, I suppose. Not perhaps anticipating that Bottas was really a threat, whereas if Hamilton had run longer, then Vettel probably would have run longer, then maybe that would have brought him into ultra-soft range. Well, that's what I said to you, wasn't it? Like, immediately after the race, I wondered whether or not Ferrari at that point had covered off the wrong Merc. They were so focused on what Lewis was doing. They were sort of thinking, right, okay, now his tyres are up to temperature. 
Now he's quicker than us. Now he's starting to chip back. But they had that sort of, well, it must have been up to about eight or nine seconds advantage on Lewis because of that lockup. Because he'd fallen back to sort of a couple of seconds ahead of Bottas, who was 11 or 12 seconds mm. behind. So it was, I, I, I felt that Ferrari didn't need to react as quickly as they did. Uh, with the pit stops he wasn't losing that much time he actually was in quite a decent situation felt he had a, and it wasn't just a couple of laps in his pocket I think he had a good six or seven seconds to play with and I, I couldn't see him shedding that time anytime soon and the second you do that you just pit the end of the lap don't you so maybe there was a bit more sort of room to play with than Ferrari initially realized it's difficult because one of the problems was that Kimi Raikkonen wasn't up there which he should have been if he completed that 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 what should have been a pole lap because then you can cover one well, because obviously I think it was eight laps longer than Hamilton Vettel ran and all that time you're a little bit worried about safety cars and virtual safety cars but you can't you can't cover both cars and if, and you know the safety car allowed Bottas to 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 jump him so it was uh, it was interesting to see how that race might have played out had the safety car not been uh, yeah it was actually deployed. building towards a decent conclusion wasn't it? it it was one of the it was a Obviously, the first lap was ridiculous, like two two crashes in at one end of the straight, basically uh, from turn two to three. But it was actually sort of sort of pottering along, not massively exciting for for a phase. And and then towards the end, it was getting interesting. Obviously, I I, I wouldn't trade the conclusion that we got for that conclusion because this one was offered us far more storylines. But it, it was still quite a decent Grand Prix. Yeah, and I should just say on Hamilton. He got a little bit of criticism from people for some of the stuff he said after the race. He said he doesn't celebrate quite as hard when he's when he's lucked in, and I think people were feeling that that was it's just the right a, thing to do, isn't well, it? Well, I, th- I think people were thinking he was just trying to say he was great, or whatever. But you know, I was there when he was talking about that, and he was being very sincere, thoughtful, and thorough in his answers. And I think people are very quick with Lewis sometimes just to declare he's doing something. He's not. You know, he was completely sincere in what he said, and he said, "Look." You know, yeah, we've we're going to need a lot more weird races like this if we're going to contend for this championship because we've got that that big big problem, and it's been there throughout. And ultimately, it is down to the tires. And even Australia, where we saw that in qualifying, everyone was talking about engine modes on the second run. The thing that allowed him to unlock the performance of the car on the second qualifying run was because Ricardo was in the way. He backed off more. He happened to prep the, the tires and the rear tires perfectly for the qualifying lap. Suddenly, you're going half a second, six tenths faster than you were because your car's planted in the last sector. And that shows how knife edge it is. And I don't think Mercedes entirely, A, entirely understand how to keep it in that precise window. And B, they they also have a very narrow window to to keep it in, so that that's the challenge. And I think they will make progress with that. We're getting but, back to getting back to Hamilton's luck. I think you know the, the fact that he didn't celebrate that win was was the right the right thing for him. It shows he was he's magnanimous. It sounds like the criticism comes from again Lewis not looking so great written down on the page as he does when he actually happen, speaks yeah. in person. He just has this weird ability to not to to not sound how he intends. And you, you hear him speak, and you think, "Oh, yeah, that was very." Th- he's very thoughtful when he gives his answers, and then you you read what he said, and you think, "Oh, that sounds arrogant," but it's not how it how he comes across. So there's always this this misconception. I think I I, I could see as he came came into the pits to park the car. I thought, "I wonder if he's going to celebrate this," because it was definitely one of those wins where he hasn't he hasn't earned it, and the way he described his race as you know being a bit below par, used that golfing analogy, didn't he? Pars and bogeys. I think that was fair, really. wasn't wasn't a bad performance overall in the weekend, but it wasn't him at his best, and it certainly wasn't a, a drive worthy of the win. And I thought it was good for him to acknowledge that. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that, and it's it's actually quite positive for him that he's had a difficult start to the season with, you know, three pretty difficult weekends, and then the bad luck in Australia, and he's still leading the championship. So that's quite mm. worrying for the lucky the boy. Of, I mean, we touched on Bottas briefly, Ben, but he could have won three races on the trot. Certainly, he could have back to back wins. If he hadn't had the blowout in Baku and the safety car in China, and then maybe if things had panned out a bit differently in Bahrain, he could have passed, put have passed Vettel. It's all come pretty well since the the qualifying shunt in Australia, hasn't it? He's really kind of showing his worth. Yeah, absolutely. You did wonder after that shunt, start of Q three. It was the start of Q three, wasn't it? Was it first yeah, it was run? The first yeah, run. in Australia, you thought, oh no, this is Bottas under pressure. He knows he's got to raise his game. His drives on the line. Hamilton was driving brilliantly at the end of last season. You think, oh, he's going to carry that into 18 as well. So what's Valtteri going to do? Oh, he stuffed it up straight away. That could that could easily destroy a driver, I think, in that kind of environment. Bottas has shown, shown what he's made of, I think. Good mental resilience. And actually, as you, you alluded to, he's been quick in the races since. And he, yeah, he could have won 
could have won all three of them. Certainly, Bahrain, if the communication with Mercedes had been a bit better, had Bottas been a bit, had a bit more gumption, maybe he could have got down the inside of Vettel and won. Certainly, Ricardo thought so. At least, um, at least give Vettel the opportunity to make a mistake in dealing with in it. In dealing with it, yeah, absolutely. I think that, that he certainly should have won probably the last two races. The safety car timing screwed him, didn't it, in in China and you know, the debris from the Verstappen um sorry, the Gasly Magnuson incident screwed him in Azerbaijan. So he's I think he's been driving well, he's been quick, he's outqualified Lewis twice in the first four races, wasn't far off in Baku. So you'd have to say performance wise it's been good from Bottas. But that question always remains, as highlighted by Bahrain, when it comes down to the the crunch moments, does he have that real killer instinct to to take advantage of his opportunities and and grab the win and we haven't yet seen that from him i think he's been second best to vettel this year i think he's probably been i think it's those two have been the two drivers that to me have stood out as okay yeah because as much as we say that about bottas could have won the last three races we could be looking at vettel clean sweep yeah very very possible um you would have been fascinating to see how china had played out if that hadn't gone differently he he fully deserved the win in baku he was absolutely incredible in the race just He's metronomic in those situations, Vettel. But yeah, the big thing with Bottas, as you said, Ben, is now now we need to see something from him. We need Bahrain to repeat itself so that we can actually see if what he said afterwards about, oh, maybe I'll be more aggressive in the future actually rings true because all well and good saying that. But I mean, China, we got the brilliant example, didn't it? There's a difference. Just, just simply being more aggressive doesn't fix it because then you get into a Verstappen or Ricardo situation. Can you actually handle it when you try and make that happen? So, But it is good to see Bottas do that because it's, he's been someone that Autosport has sort of been a fan of for, for a while, sort of with work in the junior junior categories and then Williams as well. And you always saw those flashes and just thought, what you know, just string this all together and this guy could be really, really good. And it's good, even though Mercedes obviously aren't running away with it at the front. They're still in, in there in that fight. Red Bull and Renault sort of combining means that we could have six drivers in contention at any one point over the next few Grand Prix. And, it, and it's really important to have a strong second Mercedes in, in, in the picture, especially as the second Ferrari kind of ebbs and flows, doesn't it? So having an extra driver in the mix is, is good for everyone, especially because we've seen times this year where Lewis looks in a, a bit of a dip. So when he you know fails to produce exactly what we know he's capable of, it's great that we've got someone like Bottas who isn't just there to pick up the pieces but can actually sort of match or beat Lewis anyway I think the problem Bottas suffers from is is that his best performances tend to come when Mercedes is off its game and therefore he doesn't get the overall adulation or recognition because Mercedes aren't running away with it and therefore his best performances tend to be for argument's sake third and fourth with him him just ahead of Lewis and there's still somebody else stealing the limelight on the day He, he hasn't yet produced those performances where he's utterly destroyed the field or raised himself above everyone else or produced that bit of magic either in qualifying or the race where you think oh wow that was special not yet not not in the top team well that's what that's what would have been different had China gone differently because actually I think his in lap in China that would have been if that race had played out normally that was the moment that would have been one of those ones you you remember I remember when I was a kid and, and watching and you'd go and you know you'd have someone like Schumacher in a position where okay he's got he's got that moment now time right? to turn it on yeah, turn it on oh my, look at that he's absolutely incredible yeah, he's overtaking Hacken in the pits Ch- China that done. was that was Bottas's moment wasn't it and if yeah. he'd and if he'd won the race you'd look at that and gone he he made that happen for himself that was absolutely brilliant yeah. and I have to admit I don't tend to feel sympathy for drivers um, it's something that I think I've been quite good at over the last two or three years is obviously not not getting too biased but I, I had a lot of sympathy for Bottas in China and even more in Baku because that was heartbreaking. I think you could see after the race sort of that it just sort of I think that had a worse effect on him than than what happened in qualifying in Australia because obviously he was well, Australia was his mistake. Fine, got to try and bounce back. Baku, he'd done everything he could and he just had it taken away from him. I think China, he felt particularly annoyed, didn't he? You could tell in his comments after that race that he knew he'd done everything he needed to win that race and yet somehow he's ended up not winning it and I think he found that one quite hard to process but again there was that hint even you know with Ricardo coming through on the charge with the softer tyres there was that moment where he might have defended a bit harder maybe it was only delaying the inevitable but again you just saw in that pressure moment as Ricardo's committing coming down the inside he only half closed the door it wasn't very racy and in the end that race gets remembered for Ricardo's brilliant charge and Bottas kind of not really making a fight of it when it should have been Bottas's best win in Formula One. Look how he turned it around against Ferrari. But that narrative is lost 
just to pick up on something you were saying, Scott, about Vettel's performance, Gary Anderson, our technical expert, was critical of Vettel, saying that his move to take the lead after the final restart from Bottas, which led to him running wide, dropping to third, and then being passed by by Perez subsequently to, to lose the podium, suggested it was a bit of a red mist moment where he wasn't being entirely kind of calm and collected, and obviously his main title rival, who probably will be Hamilton in the long run, was behind him. So he turned potentially a, a kind of a decent return into not such a good one. Seems harsh. I mean, Vettel said that he had to he had to make the move. Uh, I agree with Vettel more than Gary Anderson. I think in that scenario, well, let's just go back to what we were talking about just now in Bahrain. We said that Bottas didn't show the killer instinct because he didn't go for it when he had his chance. I'm not entirely convinced Vettel had another chance to win that race after that because the the Ferrari has been slower than than the Mercedes through the through the final sector anyway. So. Is he actually going to be in DRS in a position to attack Bottas into turn one on another lap? Or is he going to be more vulnerable from attack from behind? Because obviously he's going to have he's going to be given a toe to, to to Hamilton and those chasing him. So it's just I I think in I think in that moment I I it's a rare occasion where I don't think you can play the long game. I think you go okay I've got my opportunity here I'm going for it. And it's race four as well. It's race four of twenty one. Fair play to Vettel for going for it. You've got to go for wins when you have a chance to take them, I think. You can't be thinking of the championship already. And as you say, the Ferrari was set up to be a pole car, wasn't it? Good in the middle sector, get on pole, ace to start and drive away. So if he doesn't make the move there, he's not likely to get another chance. And he can't predict the puncher that then afflicts Bottas and would have ultimately handed the win back to him. And of course, if he'd uh, if he'd played his percentages and he'd, uh, he'd you know, maybe he'd out drag Bottas from turn 16 to turn one on the second lap maybe it was him that would hit the debris so maybe Vettel had the ultimate <laughs> foresight I think I think you can't begrudge a guy who's led most of the race is second in that moment has got the restart right has a run the gap's there on the inside because Bottas hasn't closed it off you've got to go for it I was if amazed it doesn't, work out, Bottas, doesn't work out I was amazed Bottas didn't close the gap into turn one I, I thought what's like He's got the toe. He's he's coming for you. You've got to move. Why aren't you moving? And maybe maybe he sort of he knew exactly where he was going to break. And he thought if he's coming down the inside of me, he's not making the corner. So maybe Bottas judged it well and Vettel didn't. But I, when when it happened, I was just like, this is brilliant. This is a proper race, and I'm glad that they're going. At it was it. one. It was one of those Ricardo hero zero moments, wasn't it? Ricardo most often pulls those off, but every so often there has been one, maybe not for the lead, that doesn't come off. And he always says, well. You know, you've got to go for it. And if Vettel had pulled that off, which he could have done had he hit the bump slightly differently or break fractionally earlier or whatever, he would have been a hero. And it was just hitting that bump at a slightly unusual angle in a different place that caused it. A small error, I do agree. He should he should go for it. There was a little Sorry, bit, Gary. There, there was a little bit of criticism from Lewis Hamilton about Vettel's safety car restart with him starting and stopping. Do you think that was, uh, that was legitimate? He says he's going to raise it with Charlie Whiting, potentially. Well, I did raise it with Charlie Whiting. And Charlie said to me that it wasn't any different to what you see up and down the field. He wasn't too aggressive. He wasn't taking the mick with what he was doing. And ultimately, uh, some series, you obviously have moments where you can, you have a set point where you go. In, in, in F1, that's your safety car, isn't it? Your race leader, he decides when you go. And ultimately... There was a bit of confusion, wasn't there? It was just like, it's green. Why isn't he going? It's just like, he doesn't have to. He's 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 waiting for the moment. He's caught them. He's gone. I, I thought it was probably on the limit, but I think it was perfectly executed. Probably Lewis is just a bit frustrated that Vettel played it that way and waited so long and didn't give him a chance to well, he attack. He went all the way to the safety car line, didn't he? Absolutely. It was a very different type of restart that we've seen previously. I think Hamilton wasn't anticipating that. He's obviously trying to anticipate what Vettel is going to do so he can get a run. Looking at it, what Vettel was doing didn't look any, any more than really what you normally do, warming up your tyres, trying to hold the hold the field. I'm sure if he went back and looked at the restart before uh, the restart at the Belgian Grand Prix last year, where Hamilton got the the drop on Vettel, he was doing a similar thing, I think, on the run to the last chicane. So it looked pretty normal to me. Obviously, Vettel's late race problems was the benefit of Sergio Perez, Force India, who passed him it wasn't in the immediate aftermath incident it was the, the next lap round that he actually made the pass for third which I think came as a surprise to to Vettel and then he said he drove two of the best laps of his career to to keep him behind would Vettel have even seen Perez with his eyes vibrating <laughs> well, well, I mean, in that car after those flat who spot? knows who knows but it, Perez said it was no coincidence that he and Force India are always there to pick up the pieces I think three of the last five non-big three podium finishes have been Perez and Force India He's always there, isn't he? Well, I mean, so why? why? Why is this the case? I mean, you can say that very often 
because that goes back to the start of 16, that run. Okay, 16 and 17, Force India was very often the fourth best. So, yeah, obviously you're going to be near the front of the queue. But mm. this was a sudden turnaround for Force India, who were fourth best in Baku, but not over the course of the season. Yeah, well, Baku's been one of their stronger circuits, hasn't it? I think in the three years it's been on the calendar. So if they were going to have a... A bit like Williams in a, in a different level, if they were going to have a race where they sort of came good or got it you know, back together a little bit, it was going to be this one. I think Perez, he's become this super effective, consistent midfield operator, hasn't he? He doesn't really make mistakes, doesn't throw races away. He's, he he thinks about the long game all the time. How am I going to pick up the points through the championship? And when you have then a crazy race, if you look at all of his podiums for forcing, they've all come in races where they've been random safety cars, lots of incidents, people crashing out. He's always well, been well, Perez himself was one of the incidents in this one because he yes he obviously uh, lost the front wing after Sorokin punted him into the back of Raikkonen. Yeah, absolutely. So he he rode his luck as well. He always rides his luck in these situations. If, if you look at all of those those podiums he had with Force India, Bahrain twenty fourteen, Russia twenty fifteen, Monaco twenty sixteen, European Grand Prix of twenty sixteen, which was at Baku, and then the Azerbaijan Grand Prix last weekend. The best thing about Perez, kind of incidents. at the rate he's going, he's going to break one of my favourite records, which is the most podium finishes without a win in F1, which is currently Nick wow. Heidfeld on 13. Perez is up to eight now. Yeah, I think he will probably take that record, won't he? Might take a few years, but yeah, he's good enough to. Yeah. I think you meant, you meant just meant, you say he's good enough to. One of the things that frustrates me with Perez is I think he's probably established established himself as arguably the most consistent best performer in F1's midfield. So why is he not considered one of the best drivers in F1? Why is he? I I just I feel he's one of those classic guys who just gets dismissed as an okay driver, but you wouldn't put him in a top car. Ben, would you put him in a top car? I think the problem he's got is that there's just too many other drivers who just have that little bit more whether it's pacing qualifying whether it's the ability to to pull a, a demon move out the bag to take a result if you we're talking about Perez's podium finishes and those results are all impressive and you can't take them away from him but rarely have I felt that Perez has been on the podium because his pure pace deserved it or that you know he he beat cars that he shouldn't have beaten obviously judgment is involved in this but there's always been incidents crashes safety cars or what have you that have put him in the position that he's ended up in the podium you could maybe argue Bahrain 2014 was probably the best of them in the sense that he was quick all weekend obviously Force India had the benefit of the Mercedes engine being that much better than the other engines in Formula 1 at that stage and he 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 kind of earned that podium in that sense but even then he had to race with Hulkenberg there was I think there was a bit of fortune Hulkenberg not really fighting too hard when they were going wheel to wheel I think Nico said he wasn't too happy about the way that race played out. I think there was some shenanigans going on that we didn't know about at the time. There's always a factor in a Perez race where you think, oh, yes, but you never think, okay, that is just wall to wall. He should have been on the podium. Nobody else can take that away from him. There are just some drivers who have a particular strength for doing that. It's not luck. It's just a particular thing that they're very good at doing, a particular skill set. You know, if you look at his results, setting aside the podiums, he's consistently there in the points. You know, if you spend a huge amount of time finishing 7th, 7th, 5th, 4th, as Perez does, then you are going to get onto the podium sometimes, <laughs> unless you're Nico Hulkenberg. Um, so that, uh, there are other drivers, like, I guess thinking back in the midst of time, someone like Giancarlo Fisichella was fantastically good at it. And yet, when he was in a top car, he wasn't. He didn't quite have that last little edge of pace. And I think that's the concern with yeah. Perez. Absolutely, remember, yeah. We, we also have to remember that Perez has been looked at. You know, he's, he's driven from McLaren. He did a Red Bull evaluation test way he's back in the Ferrari, midst of time. Genius he's on the Ferrari Junior. So I think he's a driver who you look at. Maybe as, you might look at your second driver as, as a um, in a in a top team. But I think maybe he lacks you know, that good, last bit good of as spark, he is. Good he? as he is, and he and he is really good. You know. He's a good guy. He's really learned. He's really dependable. Brilliant for a team like Force India. I think Ben's right. There's always going to be enough other options. Perhaps if if he was at that level in like the let's say the late 90s when there weren't so many drivers of that caliber around, he probably would be in a in a top in a top team. But I think I think uh, also he's been flattered slightly by the Pirelli era, and you see that a bit less now. But still, tire management is massively important. And Perez is a is a tire management driver, isn't he? I think he's had to work much harder to get the pure pace out of the car. Having Hulkenberg alongside him at Force India helped him. I think you can see he's improved. But hes I don't think he's the kind of driver that's going to destroy his teammate in qualifying 
a, a good teammate, certainly, let alone a, an exceptional one. I think he's just, he's top of the second tier. And I think that's just kind of where he's going to stay. All the while, as Ed says, there are better options. Which, or, which is no bad exciting thing. Options. It still means he's an extremely good driver. Yeah, no discredit to him. Force India is the other element in that partnership that allows Perez to get these results. And I think Baku was just a really good example of why a team like Force India can score these podiums. And Haas, as an, an example at the other end of the extreme, mm. Gunter Steiner says they need to get used to playing in the big boy league. Well, they've been in the big boy league for a little while now and it's Certainly a bit ridiculous season. that they've got a car that's as quick as it is and um, they're, I think, th- third from bottom in the constructors' points and only have 11 or eleven points or something like that, which is a, they, you know... they sh- Squandering, what, aren't they? Well, they, they would have had more points than that from one driver in Australia had they not botched the pit stop. So that, I think that just shows... They're 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 missing it, aren't they? They they whatever Force India has, Haas would dearly love to have some of. Ultimately, Haas they've got a car. They should have six, seven, eight points finishes so far this year. They've only got two, which uh, which I think says a lot. And obviously, we saw that slightly alarming moment with Magnussen pushing Gasly towards the towards the, towards the wall, which. Um, I think that wasn't in the original broadcast, was it? But it was it was released after the race. That was pretty uh, pretty alarming, wasn't it, Scott? Yeah. Um... I think Magnussen blamed some mirror damage or a vibration or something from a from the hit he got from Ericsson on the first lap, and he said that that meant he couldn't really see out of his mirror the whole race. But the Haas is a car that tends to shake itself to death, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and, and there had a bit barge board fall off in, in qualifying. Well, there was a point in the video where it looks like you can see Magnussen's head move. Well, he and, he looks that way, doesn't he? Yeah. Sorry, to the and listeners, to be fair, he looks him, right. What I will Gassi's say, left. what I will say is that. When you, whenever people say, oh, but you can see him move his head in the cockpit, you never know if he's actually actively looking to check a button on the steering wheel, that sort of thing. But the way he moves across, you've, I don't think Magnussen's an idiot, and I don't think he's a particularly dangerous driver, despite Gasly declaring him the most dangerous he's raced against. But the, the fact that he moved him towards the wall at that speed, at that point on the straight, surely you have to give him the benefit of the doubt and say you just didn't see him because otherwise that's a that's a catastrophic, potentially catastrophic misjudgment. I disagree with you. I think that he knew exactly what he was doing in the first instance. And you can, if you watch the line of, of that Magnussen takes relative to the cars ahead, he doesn't take that kink normally. He doesn't turn right in the way he should. He just straightens up which means he goes left earlier so I think he knew where Gasly was and the I mean, unfortunate he, he, thing is Gasly was already coming and was partly the way alongside and hence it was almost catastrophic I think Magnussen he, knew what he was doing I think he, at the very least you know he knew Gasly was coming and he moved across to cover him now if the mirrors were shaking and it wasn't that precise if you know, know someone's coming and you know they're close close enough to to move in that way to cover them sometimes you have to leave a little bit of a little bit of uh margin just in case he's not exactly to the millimeter where you think it's you know he can't have it both ways he can't say i couldn't see clearly and then do something that indicates he clearly is reacting to cover a car that yeah. he knows is coming somewhere so it can be it could be a misjudgment if you're being generous yeah. to i don't, I don't think it was i'm gonna put him in the wall no he's, he's, that. yeah exactly that's so it, that's not what magnuson's like but he is he's tough in battle and this is not the first time he's he's annoyed one of his fellow drivers with some robust defence, shall we say? So I wondered if what I he'd done given the benefit of the doubt. No, but I wondered if it wasn't a case of him squeezing him against the wall, and it was more a case of he didn't necessarily know that Gasly was coming up alongside him. So you move across over to stop them from going into that gap. If you see what I mean? Yeah, but he, he's done it too late, like way too yeah, late. Yeah, that's what. That's I mean, so, the so it's a bad misjudgment rather than necessarily a force him to basically get, make the other driver make that decision of either get shoved into the wall or back out. I don't know if he necessarily went that far. Either I way, think, I think, I think he's he, at fault. I think he would, he would be capable of doing that or at least asking the other driver to make that judgment. I think in this case, he's just asked him to make that judgment far too late and hence deserves his penalty. Yeah, which I think was fair. And ultimately, the penalty didn't really make a great deal of difference, uh, difference to Magnussen. Well, there's plenty to talk about in that race and plenty we, we haven't had the chance to touch on. So uh, head to autosport.com. You can still read about all of the fallout from that and the big talking points. I'm sure there'll be more Red Bull news coming as they uh, as they try and explain why all is very well between Max Verstappen and, and Daniel Ricciardo. Check out Autosport magazine out Thursday, which has all the in-depth analysis of the race and uh, features and reports on all the whole world of, of motorsport. Also check out F1 Racing out monthly and motorsport.com. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast.
Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever, so you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.